You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hello, welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts, Aaron Lammer, Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hey, we're just in a heated uh, conflict over uh, candy corn. I don't think it was, I mean, I think two of us are in agreement. Two out of three people agree that it's delicious. It was a civil conversation. You guys think it's good. I think it's gross. <laughs> I don't see how it could be gross. It's just sugar. Who, who's on the honey. show this week? <laughs> uh, this week we talked to, I talked to Jessica Pressler. She writes for uh, New York Magazine and GQ, and uh, I really, I really had a good time talking to her. I will tell you guys this: uh, this episode contains what I believe to be the most awkward moment in the history of the podcast. Ooh, now that is something to listen further for. Wow, not going to tell you what it is because some fairly awkward shit has already <laughs> happened on this on the podcast. No question about it. No question about it. I think that uh, I believe I've topped it. We should wow. do a top ten awkward moments uh, podcast. Yeah, uh, we got some sponsors today. I got a sh- I, I called Sean Wilsey Sean Wilson at the end of his podcast. <laughs> that was awkward. Put that in the, Very sorry put that in the that, top Sean. 10. <laughs> um, Number four. Yes, we do have some uh, sponsors. Uh, one of those sponsors is Warby Parker, who believe that glasses should not cost as much as an iPhone. Uh, the whole Warby Parker system is great. Uh, they send you glasses. You try them on, send them back. You get glasses, and they are merely $95 with prescription lenses. You're going to go to warbyparker.com slash longform. You'll get free expedited shipping and help support this show. Warbyparker.com slash longform. Our other sponsor is Tiny Letter. Venerated people at Tiny Letter. Uh, I finished uh, the judging for that contest last week. Yeah. I was A, impossible. They sent me 25 people, all of whom were incredibly deserving, and also introduced me to all kinds of new Tiny Letters. Wow. wow. Yeah, I, my inbox is Tiny Letter crazy. Gmail should just have like a tiny letter tab. I have installed. one. I oh, have do. one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, enjoy your candy corn. It's delicious. And here's Max with Jessica Preston. Hi, Jessica Pressler. Hi. Thanks for coming to Dumbo. We've been trying to do this for a long time. I kept getting pushed aside by New York Magazine colleagues with books coming out. Jerks. Bunch of jerks. <laughs> jerks at their books. <laughs> uh, but I appreciate you finally doing it, sticking with me. You even, we, yeah. there, was, there were book pushes, and then there was one time that, uh, that we were going to do it, and then uh, instead I had a kid. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Sorry about that. Freaking baby. Yeah. Fucking right. books and babies. <laughs> Poor timing. <laughs> and we were just talking, you, you just, uh, we're saying you're from Boston and you, you looked at my Red Sox hat, which is on the table here. And I know that you're from Boston. In fact, from Marblehead. Wow. How did you know that? Here's another thing I know. What? When you were seven, you started a magazine. Oh, right, because I put this on my like weird website URL that like is a placeholder for when I, I get a real website. I found that weird website. <laughs> so, That's excellent. I did. Like, yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. And you put, um, according to your weird website, uh, you already put- super embarrassing. <laughs> you put um, a bunch of seaweed on your friends. Yeah. And did like a fashion yeah, spread made, for your like, magazine. Yeah, we made dresses out of seaweed and, yeah. and then I created a, a photo shoot. I only found that weird website earlier today, but the question I'd been wanting to ask you, even before I found that weird website, was um, the you question- You want bathing suit pictures of me when I was a kid? <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yes. The whole reason I've got you on this audio podcast was to ask you for bathing suit pictures of you as a kid. Um, no, the thing I was going to ask you about was when you were a kid, were you a wise ass? I mean, I would say that that didn't st- start until I was- No, yeah, I definitely was. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I was. You, like, you, were, yeah. you were born wise-ass. Probably. I read a lot of, like, James Thurber and, like, early sarcastic stuff when I was growing up. So probably that got in there. Were you, like, a, a, a wise-ass in all aspects of your life or only in your magazines where you're throwing seaweed on your friends? <laughs> um, probably if you consulted my elementary school teachers in all aspects of my life. <laughs> For sure. Because there is a uh, there's a streak in your work. Oh boy, <laughs> this is not a, this is not an old boy question. There's a streak in your work of slight of slight uh, wise assery. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Is that fair? Um, you know, I don't know. I feel like we're hovering on the edge of something <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable. Um, there's a streak of wise assery. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't read my stuff after it's done. I hate all of it. Yeah, but you I, write it. I write it. What are we hovering on the edge of? I, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Um, um, is there a streak of wise mastery? I mean, I guess so. Possibly. I don't know. All right. We'll, we'll get there, too. Let's go back. Marblehead, Massachusetts. Okay. Do making magazines. Did you always know you wanted to be a writer? Was this always the plan? Um, no. Like, totally not at all the plan. What was the plan? Um, I mean, I always loved magazines. My mom had a lot of magazines lying around. She had a subscription to Esquire for some reason. And, you know, I read like Sassy and all of those magazines when I was growing up. Um, But I don't really think that I knew that that was a job that you could do, being a writer for magazines, until like much, much, much later in life. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was growing up. I sort of drifted aimlessly. I went to art school oh, really? for what kind a of, year. What kind of art did you do? I wanted to be a sculptor, but I was unbelievably bad. <laughs> and it was like the 90s, so my sculptures are all like doll parts and like kind of like grunge influence. <laughs> like, do you still have them? Horrible. No, I don't. I don't even have photographs. Thank God the internet like wasn't really a thing. Um, yeah, I messed around. And I dropped out of art, art school because I was um, bad. <laughs> And <laughs> was, that, was that like a tough moment when you like looked yourself in the mirror and were like, I'm not going to be a sculptor? Not really. My friends, like, by the way, like kids who go to art school are like the best. So I had like the best, coolest friends in school. And they were all like really good. And they were all really committed to their art in a way that I was just like, 
I'm just aimless. Um, so just looking at parts. how committed they are, I was like, this is not what I'm going to do. So um, now we're just like, I'm just going to tell you the whole story. Just do like it. Everything. That's the idea. Um, so, yeah. So um, I left and I moved to Ireland and was like a waitress for a few months. And then I moved to Prague and I stayed in Prague for like two years and was aimlessly a waitress. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it was super How fun. How old are you? Um, 19, 18, 19. <laughs> sounds like a good time. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. And there was no internet. So when you went to, I mean, there was, I just didn't know about it. Um, when you went to Europe, you'd like totally disappeared. And so I was like just in a different existence and being like an expat for two years. Um, but that like would have gotten weird if I had stayed any longer. So, yeah, they're, they're those people who who stay too long and then they're not expats anymore. So. Yeah, yeah. And being a cocktail waitress, I saw those people at an Irish pub. I saw <laughs> those people all the time. I was among them. So then I came back and I went, I was lured by my parents. My dad is a college professor in Pennsylvania to a small school in Pennsylvania um, where I had a really great professor in like a writing class that I just randomly took, who then introduced me to the editor of an alt weekly in Philadelphia, who gave me an internship, which turned into a job. And like, what? Uh, now this is what I do. <laughs> There's actually more steps to that, but um, but that's basically. Were you writing when you were living your uh, cocktail waitress expat life? No, and I really, really should have been, yeah. but I just didn't know. But also, it would have been terrible. It would have been like my sculpture, probably. <laughs> so it's just as well. Yeah, but you wouldn't have put it on the internet, <laughs> so it would have been fine. That's true. That's true. No one would have seen it. I had a similar experience waiting tables in uh, South Africa, and I did write about it, and uh, I'm very happy that none of it's on the internet. Really? Yeah. That's, see, we I, we almost moved to South Africa. I mean, my friend who was also a cocktail waitress in Prague, and then she like broke her ankle and we didn't go. Oh, but, it's a good place. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, I didn't want to I leave. may have never come back from there. And, if you really pin me down it, I would say I should not have ever left. Yeah. Could have been one of those people who stuck around for too long. It was kind of a weirdo. Yeah, I mean, I like those people. I still do. And by the way, I went back to Prague last year and everyone was still there. Oh, really? It was amazing. You would have thought. It's been like 10 years, like yeah. more than that. Um. <laughs> like 15 years <laughs> like yeah it's crazy that must have been fun it was awesome yeah it was really you, it was kind like, of a relief i was like oh i'm young enough for everybody to still yeah were you like here. reliving your some people were dead and some days. people were in jail so <laughs> most people were still we're doing fine yeah well it seems like if you had stuck around the odds would have been good that you would have ended up okay maybe jail maybe dead hopefully yeah but not writing for all of these uh huge magazines yeah so that happened so then that happened yeah. What were you writing about at the All Weekly? Okay, so... At Which, the, was it City Paper like, or Philly Weekly? It was Weekly? Philly Weekly. And the editor editor there, Tim Whitaker, was really, I think... Well, first of all, Philadelphia is like a great town of newspapers. And there were a ton of great writers at the Philly Weekly. And I was not one of them. I did like a lot. Of, I, I basically did like anything that anybody asked me to do. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that I would be like an editor. I didn't even know that like long, long form, as we call it, as you guys are called, was a thing mm-hmm. um, until I like had a boyfriend that did it. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> they, he acted like all important about it. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> That's kind of how that happened. Before you were doing that, what was like, what was the stuff you're doing at Philly Weekly? I had. Um, this is so embarrassing. I had like a gossip column. I mean, this was that was some real wise ass shit because Philadelphia, 
if anything, I would say that the wise ass thing probably solidified in Philadelphia because that is like a tough town. Yeah. And it's also like super easy to make fun of. <laughs> Bless them. <laughs> and uh, so, and they really like encouraged it at the Philly Weekly. Like they really encouraged you. Were you like making fun of like city council? Or, like, no. people hanging out at oh, the bar? probably. I mean, probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably, like, city council. And how, sorry, how old were you when you were doing this? 21, 22. I also worked for an alt-weekly uh, when I was, whatever, 24. Mm-hmm. And it was a crazy thing to write about people and then, like, actually have them read it and then see them around. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like, I kind of went over the top on that there because I was really encouraged to by my editors. But I also think that, like, subconsciously, I wanted to get out of Philadelphia. And so I was like... You're just going to burn it down. I was just going to burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> is there something, like, uh, in particular you're thinking of? It's like, when, when you're talking about, like, going too far, is there... No, but there was, like, a tipping point, which is that I wrote an article for the New York Times about Philadelphia. Convoluted circumstances led me to, like... Like, I called someone on the phone at the New York Times and, like, pitched them something, and one thing led to another. And I wrote this article, um, and the headline was, Is Philadelphia the Sixth Borough? And it was a terrible experience writing the article. Like, it got edited, like, by, like, nine people. I had to, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, the editor, like, had me, like, interview, like, her friends and, like, you know, the executive editor's friends. Somehow I got, you know, just pilloried for for suggesting that Philadelphia was so inferior. It was the phrase, the sixth borough. Yes, yes. So just completely, basically run out of town. Yeah. In fact, like last year, I saw a guy at Roberta's in Brooklyn and he like yelled at me about it. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So it was was Philly people who were aggrieved by being called the sixth borough. Everybody was aggrieved. Yeah, New York people were aggrieved, but Philly people were like really aggrieved. I reread that article today and there's there's (laughs) one... uh, You did. So you were asking. That was the leading question. No, you... you, No, I I was hoping for something from like your all weekly days where you called someone an asshole and like you had to see them at a bar. Oh no, that's just, that happened like on the regular. (laughs) That that, that didn't stick out. It was when you called people an asshole in the Times that it was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's this- I didn't call anybody an asshole in the Times. It was like super innocuous. And uh, by the way, somebody else, I was quoting somebody when I said it was the Sixth Borough. Which is very clear in the story. Right. But people can't read, which is the thing that I've learned. (laughs) That's actually (laughs) a major theme of the podcast. People don't read. Yeah, they don't. There's one turn of phrase in that in that time story, which was like 2005. Oh my god, I which, can't believe you read that. Which I really I really liked. It was like this. There was like this one moment that felt like like a like a, like a Jessica Presser line, and it was like <laughs> um, you you called Philly a flyover city, and then like it set off in like M dashes. It was like eh, train over. And the rest was all like pretty timesy and straight ahead, but that one that one felt like a little like a uh, little Pressler dick. I like yeah, that. I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing was so worked over. I did. yeah. Well, but the, okay. So you you wrote that story and then like got jumped on. Do you think people jumped on you not just because the six bro thing, but because you'd been in the all weekly like zinging people a bunch? Probably. Yeah. 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 Probably. If the goal was <laughs> to like burn it down, uh huh. That was a pretty great like final knock down the the bridge. I mean. You could look at it that way. You could look at it that way. Like, drop the mic. Yeah. Yeah. Six borough and I'm out. Can never come back to this town. I I really didn't know that that, that I was going to have that reaction. I thought they'd be happy about it. It was like a love letter to Philadelphia as far as I was concerned. I was like, this 
I'm saying it's cool, guys. <laughs> what? So, um, yeah, that was not received well. When does this boyfriend writing long articles come along that uh, makes you think you can do that? It was probably around the same time. Yeah, he was writing, or he was, you know, fairly established um, magazine writer. And um, I was like, well, that looks cool. Like, and he got to, like, travel and, and go to Croatia and, like, do cool things and and spend ages writing something. And I was like, that seems really like a fun thing to do. So I had actually left, though. I, I you moved. left Philadelphia. Yeah, I had moved after, to after New York. the Times. Yeah, I dropped the mic and I was like later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was sort of lured back by Philadelphia Magazine for a little while to do some stuff for them from New York. Yeah, and then you start writing for New York Magazine. Well, I moved back to Philadelphia for a year. It's very confusing. Okay, <laughs> what happened was I left Philadelphia, dropped the mic, and then came to New York and was doing like a bunch of like random freelancing stuff, uh-huh. including I had this amazing job at In Touch Weekly, stalking celebrities. Like, and it was kind of like the heyday of the tabloid. Yeah, and Ga- like Gawker Stalker era. Even maybe slightly pre. Whoa. And I would like stand outside the Ritz and like wait for Ashley Simpson. And then be like, how's Jessica doing after her divorce? And she'd be like, fine. And then it would be like on the cover of In Touch, like, Jessica's fine, says Ashley. <laughs> it would be like the whole cover story. It was amazing. Would you? And then you'd like be walking in New York and pass a newsstand when New York still had lots of newsstands and you'd see In Touch Weekly. And, <laughs> and would, would you feel, be like, scoop? Yeah, I mean, kind of. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I didn't really care at all. It was just like a weird way to... In fact, I didn't stand outside the rich. We, we got to you know, go into the Ritz and expense martinis and I could like bring a friend and it was super fun and they had all kinds of money. So I did that and then I moved, and then I was like, it's time to like get serious and become like a serious magazine writer like my ex-boyfriend and <laughs> kick his ass. Um, so you picked yeah. up the mic and went back to Philly. <laughs> so I went back to Philly for a year, yeah. What were those first stories that you were looking to do? I don't know that I was really looking to do anything in particular and I can't even remember what the first stories were, um, but... I was kind of looking to kind learn. Of, I'm kind of glad to hear you say that because I couldn't find any of them. Oh, good. Well, that's probably just as well. <laughs> so maybe just skip that shit. Um, I think I just wanted to learn how to do it. And it was a good place to learn without people seeing it, basically. <laughs> um, to, like, work out, you know, the kind of messy mechanics of figuring out how to make a long story work. Um, and it was super great because, like, Mo Tassik was there and Dan P. Lee was there and if you uh, have not listened to the Dan P. Lee episode, you should listen to it. Totally. Yes. So it was kind of fun to have those guys around. Dan and I had like windowless offices next to each other. And we just like talked all day about like, you know, how to make this story work. And like our stories were about like the local weatherman, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. you know, 3000 word profile of the weatherman. But like we wanted to make them be like interesting. And right. Good. Yeah. Put, putting yeah. as much effort as you possibly could into the weatherman. Yes. What were the kinks that you were working out? Um, I think just like kind of mechanics, like like structure. And um, I mean, I'm still working out all of these kinks. I don't ha- have any idea what I'm doing every time I sit down to write anything. But um, just figuring out the voice of, of how magazine writing was different from writing for an alt-weekly or a newspaper or even <laughs> in touch weekly. <laughs> I didn't actually write anything for in touch weekly. Um, yeah, so just kind of figuring out like how to make that work and what my voice was. Hey, it's Max. I'm going to pause things quickly and tell you a little bit about our sponsor this week. It's Warby Parker. 
We are huge fans of Warby's over here. They also sponsored the launch of the Longform app last month. You've downloaded the app, right? Free iPhone, iPad, go get it. Uh, anyway, we're huge fans of Warby's, and it's not just because their glasses look great, uh, which they absolutely do. It's also not just because their glasses are affordable, which they most certainly are. Warby glasses start at just 95 bucks, actually. Uh, here's another reason why we're such huge Warby fans. For every pair they sell, they give a pair to someone in need. So go get yourself some glasses. Go to warbyparker.com slash longform. That's warbyparker.com slash longform, and you'll get free expedited shipping. Warby lets you try any pair of glasses risk-free. It's super easy. They've got this home try-on program where you choose up to five pairs. They send them all to your house, and then you just pick the one or two that look best. You're good to go. Couldn't be easier. Get started now. Warbyparker.com slash longform. Buy a pair of great-looking glasses, and you'll also directly be helping our show. Uh, thanks to Warby for its continued support of long form. We really do appreciate it. Okay, let's get back to Jessica. You sort of started writing and like pretty quickly you were writing in public. Is that right? Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like you you were not keeping tons of journals in Prague and no, then like no, just started no. doing it. it. Like when you were writing, you were writing for people. Yeah. That feels really different to me than a lot of writers, I think. Yeah. Probably. Like, like when you're <laughs> right right. Well, when you're writing a column, like a gossip column for an all weekly and then the magazine stuff, like you're thinking of an audience. Totally. Yeah. And I was like really like catering to the audience. Yeah, I mean what, I think early on especially. How so? Um, well, like I was saying with the with the like kind of wise assy stuff and the gossip column that right. I had for the all weekly. I mean Philadelphians like love that stuff. How do other people do it? What do they keep little diaries and journals? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a strain of uh, people who do this work who got into it because all they wanted to do was write, mm-hmm. and this was a way to get paid to do it, maybe, which is different than starting out and basically like the first things you're writing are being read by people and designed to be read by people. Yeah. Just start like I mean. I think everyone's pretty focused on their audience, and sometimes people say they're not, and I I don't totally believe it. But um, it does orient you differently, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was a job. Like, it was how I survived, sort of. I remember calling my mom when I got the first job at Philadelphia Weekly, like, when they actually hired me from being an intern. I was like, I'm getting paid $25,000 a year. Isn't that amazing? She was like... You wait till you work out the math of that and then just give me a call back. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had the same experience. I was living in uh, Tampa, Florida, and I was like, this is going to pay for rent and like a bunch of beer. <laughs> I'm golden. This is amazing. Right. All I have to do is <laughs> write articles. You, that's all you need. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, how, so how did how did New York Magazine happen? How did you go? Oh, yeah. How so, did you go from working out the kinks in your windowless office next to Dan P. Lee to writing for New York Magazine and GQ? How'd that happen? Right. So basically, and like why, this kind of gets into why I'm like sensitive about the wise ass stuff is that um, I really felt like that was kind of like foisted on me and by editors in Philadelphia, and <laughs> the breaking point at Philadelphia Magazine was when. The editors asked me to do, like, basically, like, a hit piece on Alex's Lemonade Stand, which, as you know, is, like, um, an organization that raises money for pediatric cancer. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I just couldn't really do that. <laughs> well, what was the nature of the attack they had in mind? I don't even mind? know. I don't even know what they were thinking. I didn't even listen to the full idea, but I was like, it's time to go now. <laughs> um, and Mo had already moved to New York and Mo Tassik and had started at Jezebel. And she like heard about this job opening up at uh, New York Magazine's website on the Daily Intelligencer site. And I was like cool I'll like try anything out um, or maybe it was AJ Delario because he was also he was in and out of Philadelphia magazine as well it's a weird time yeah so I like sent in some clips and they hired me to do Daily Intel and then I was on the blog right which was like a very weird place for me to be because I'm not and have never been like a news person like a news hound like right. a breaking and you, and you news were, person right and you were on the like three posts a day like oh like ri- try like, like eight posts a day yeah. like, we posted every half hour it was just me and Chris Rabzar and we posted like we had to like aggregate the news and it was every half hour like throwing something up there that, we like barely got out of our pajamas it was pretty <laughs> intense and since then you've been writing about Wall Street and you started writing about startups for New York and I definitely want to talk to you about that and then also writing stuff for GQ yeah kind of this wide range of articles do you feel like there's any um, like through line between all those things is there like uh, any kind of common theme like what, what basically like, what are you looking for in a story I was thinking about this because I knew that you were going to ask it, but then I like sort of forgot to think about it. (laughs) Um, I think that the through line with all of these things is that I really like hustlers. Like I really like a story about like a a person who like kind of like comes out of nowhere and like really tries to like do it for themselves. Why do you think that is? Well, I kind of think that maybe it's a quintessential New York magazine story, and so it's kind of like a, a and a city magazine story, and Philadelphia magazine was, so it's almost like a reflex from city magazines, yeah. possibly. But also those people are just easy to like, kind of. Like, even when they're, you know, sort of terrible, they're easy to like. Well, they're easy, they're potentially easier to write about because they kind of inherently are selling themselves. Well, that is true, too. Yeah, it's interesting now to hear you say that, because I feel like um, Lloyd... Blank fine. Blank fine. So I was going to say blank fin. That would have been wrong. Mm-hmm. In that story, very quickly, you like have him at a diner and have him making like Brooklyn one-liners, which yeah. kind of puts him in that context as well. Like I, I remembered that story a little differently, but then like reading your stuff kind of in a row, like it was very early on. It's like, this guy's the CEO of Goldman Sachs. He is worth bajillions of dollars. Uh, but you should not forget that like he's a kid from Brooklyn and he sits at a diner and he makes bad jokes. Right. And- to get from there to here, there must have been some hustling along the line. Oh, yeah. I haven't read that story since I wrote it because I feel like so confounded by him still. Like, I you still, like I still don't understand that trajectory totally. And yeah. I suspect that there's like, you know, daddy issues and all kinds of stuff like that. But, um, but I never really got it. I didn't have that much time with him. That's a hard story. Oh, yeah. And it was like anytime I made a call to anybody that was like, you know, out there, I'd get like a call from Goldman Sachs. It was like they were bugging my office. It was like <laughs> anytime I called anyone to try to find out anything, it was they'd that... be like, "Hello, we know that you just called so and so." It was kind of weird. Also, you're wearing a blue shirt. Do you <laughs> was that one you picked or one you were assigned? I was assigned it, but I would have picked it if I wasn't assigned yeah. it. I mean, because it, it's ambitious. Like, 
I mean, I'm surprised we even really got him to talk to you. Like, what? What is he? He did not give any interviews after. It was the first interview he had given in about two years. Yeah. Well, why? How'd you get him to do that? I mean, I've been badgering him for two to three years. <laughs> um, and part of the, I think part of the reason is probably that I, from being on the blog during the financial crisis, I sort of took on the Wall Street stuff um, because I don't know, I was trying to like endear myself to my employers, and um, and and it became like, interesting to me actually. I sort of found that the way that the narrative skewed was actually. This is a controversial statement. It was actually kind of unfair to Goldman Sachs. I mean... You're a Goldman Sachs defender, is <laughs> what you're telling me. I, not really. It's more like there were other players that were as bad, even worse. And we're seeing that now. But at the time, Goldman was getting all of the hatred. Like, there were stickers everywhere that said Goldman Sachs, and they were on Saturday Night Live. And it was... It was really over the top, like how much fury was leveled on them as opposed to JP Morgan or Countrywide or, you know, any of the other terrible players in the mortgage, Deutsche Bank. So um, is that part of your... Like Deutsche Bank doesn't roll off the tongue as <laughs> right. easily as yeah, Goldman there's no, Sachs. There's no good like greedy <laughs> Deutsche Bank puns. Yeah. So... So was that part of your pitch kind of? That was kind of part of my pitch. Like how do you, like from the eye of the storm, like, but you know... I didn't really, I don't feel like I really got it. <laughs> but that was what I wanted. I'm interested in that pitching thing. How, how like, naked do you get with those pitches? Like, how, how clean do you come on your own motivations? And, like, how much are you selling people on doing a story? Well, it depends on who the person is and, and something like that. That was definitely, like, an effort Right. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Made. Yeah, like a large effort. I mean, that's a New York Magazine is not a natural outlet to right. give that interview to. I badgered them for a very, very, very long time. Oh, that's a good lesson. Yeah, <laughs> and then I was like, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Which is a thing that you have to say sometimes. I'm going to do like a write around on this, um, and then you know they kind of came through with right, giving start... me some time okay so that's like that's one version which isn't like a good message but either. you should threaten people by saying you're going to do it anyway but <laughs> right. I, I was in a position where that's what New York Magazine wanted me to do and I don't particularly like doing right around so I mean it's creepy right if somebody like wrote about it, I mean I like them and I read them but if somebody wrote a whole profile of you without ever talking to you so that way, that's one end of the spectrum is like, how do you get the CEO of Goldman Sachs to give his first interview in two years? And the answer is basically like badger him and threaten him. But, <laughs> but, but nicely, but politely. But super politely. politely yeah. And like, right, very charmingly. And then how do you pitch um, the fine gentleman at Washio? Oh, um, so well, for, so that didn't need to be pitched at all. Right. Well, for context, uh, you started writing about sort of Silicon Valley startups, and there's a couple pieces. There was the most recent one was Airbnb, but then there was one before that was a, that was about the various uh, men, and they're all men trying to disrupt laundry. Mm-hmm. And the leader in that very crowded space is Washio, right? With an app that you can order your laundry picked up and delivered on your iPhone. Uber for laundry. Yes, Uber for laundry was the line that I heard a lot. So I wanted to do something that was like, you know, what it was like to like work at a startup, basically. And I had sort of like done like a story on Warby Parker that was, you know, kind of whatever it was for our fashion issue. And the culture was intriguing a little bit. It's like so different, um, but not really. 
but um, wait, which, so, which culture was different? Just the the culture of startups, yeah, um, and, and office culture is is quite different than um, than like magazines. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, certainly, <laughs> yeah, definitely from magazines, but from most office jobs, I think. I yeah, I want to do something kind of like about like be inside of a startup a little bit and. Um, and I wanted like a fun, lighthearted startup. Right. I found these like laundry startups um, that there was multiple ones. There was a post about them on Valley Wagon about on TechCrunch. It, one one of the things is that when I was looking for a startup, it was like the possibilities were like endless. Right. Like it was yeah. just totally overwhelming. <laughs> um. So I was taking especially if ages. You're lo- right. Especially if you're looking for a um. You use the word fun, but also maybe like a uh, frivolous, like a little, a little frivolous. I wasn't really looking for something frivolous. Okay. I just didn't want it to be like, um, like a business, you know, like super like math oriented, like about coding, whatever. Right. Like, bore. I wanted it to be something comprehensible to the average person. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I came across these laundry startups, and there was more than one of them. And I, but I was taking ages to like decide on like what how to approach the story. Because I wanted it to be about the the culture of these startups, and I thought that maybe we'd been taking it all a little bit too seriously from the outside. That like you know actually it was hilarious the words that they used and like the snacks in the office and just the whole like setup. The was flax pretty Christini. funny. The flax Christini, yeah, the lingo, just like the the super raw rawness of it. We were all taking it really seriously. Like it was like. This is like we're changing the world. It's like okay, they're changing. Who's the world. we? I kind of feel like that media was taking it quite seriously. I mean, not necessarily the culture, but like they would write about startups like it, it was, you know, normal. Right. <laughs> there was like four laundry startups, or so. Then Adam Moss is like, you have to decide on a startup, basically. And I called up Jordan at Washio, and he was like so much fun to talk to on the phone he was like a former child actor and he was super talkative and I was like I'm gonna come out and see you like next week (laughs) and he was like okay (laughs) um so yeah so I went out there and and hung out with him for a while they're super nice people they're like us you know they're just like us startups like young people in their 30s yeah I mean they're like really nice nice guys but using some pretty ridiculous lingo. Yeah, it's it's absurd. I think they kind of know it's absurd. Do you think they know it? Yeah. I'm surprised to hear you say that. After reading that article, I would not describe those guys as like super self-aware. I mean, there's one moment in the article where Sam, who's one of the partners who started it, is talking about how they like to do this like charity drive where they bring your extra clothes to Goodwill for you because he's like because it's so annoying when you're trying to bring clothes to Goodwill and then they stack up in your house and then he's like he sort of catches himself he's like it's actually it's not that annoying (laughs) (laughs) it's just like a part of life Um, so I think there is some self-awareness there but you do get kind of caught up in it and it becomes your normal yeah yeah there is I mean there's there are several kind of like asides in that story and in some other stories of yours I guess that are kind of like they're they're perfect but they're biting you know like there's well there's one in there like like um <laughs> where you describe someone i forget which one of the guys it was but you describe someone as like furring his bow or something <laughs> in the style of someone who has not contemplated um the fact that he will ever age but that's true that's exactly what how he said it it's like that's uh, how all these people talk well i'm not i'm not <laughs> doubting the veracity of the description i said it's perfect yeah but it's not the description of someone who's particularly like self-aware like, I'm sure that moment he was like, oh, fuck, I sound like such an asshole. 
Uh, well, I'm not sure about that, actually. Well, 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 what do, yeah, I mean, what do you think their reaction is? They liked that? it. Really? Yeah. They, I mean, they were really happy to get the publicity, I think, and then they got like $10 million in their next round of funding, so uh, you I should guess get it worked a, out. You should get a, like a chunk of that. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. But um no, but yeah, that that was like a kind of thing where it, I mean that just sort of needed to be in my opinion, like that sort of needed to be like put out there that yeah. these people talk about old people as though like they're not going to be old people <laughs> and it's super weird and disrespectful and it's like completely part of the culture and this came up in the Airbnb story too. It's yeah, just for people sure. are like you're old, you're old, you're old. Well, it also I think it it is particularly weird given the sort of rhetoric around we're like forever changing the world and we're focused on a better future for everyone because it it sort of undercuts that because it's also like also I can't see much past my 18 month runway because that's all that actually matters to me. One of the things that annoys me about the kind of change the world thing is that if you like kind of look at the actual fundamentals of the people who are running these companies like they're all they like went to Wharton and like Harvard and just because they're wearing sneakers like they're they're not any different really than like the man of your you know <laughs> like they're kind of like they're pretty corporate corporate i don't know if corp uh, corporate is the word i would use no no they are corporate they are like backed by investors that are american express right venture capital funds i mean like it's just kind of like a it's a little bit wolf in sheep's clothing they're definitely still the man i think it's just like that thing where it's like all the money was here and now all the money's here yeah and but but the whole like pretense that they're like different and that they're like conscientious companies right. and, and and better to their employees because they keep snacks around and really that just keeps you in the office longer right well that that whole thing about like um, vacation we have the, the vacation policy <laughs> thing is pretty incredible yeah that's like the apex of that right yeah we have no vacation policy, and we encourage you to take as much as you want. Right, so or you never none. take it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so that you, interests me a lot about those companies. Right, that, so I mean, but that's skepticism. Like, you went in skeptical. Yeah, totally. And your skepticism... That was kind of the point, to be, like, skeptical. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and your skepticism was confirmed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so if you went in skeptical, and your skepticism was confirmed, mm-hmm. and there are some kind of, like, zinger lines in there why are those guys happy with that story i don't know i kind of think that part of the culture is to be like shameless <laughs> or to put on like with any amount of press that you can get and i don't totally know why that is um and also just to kind of put on a happy face right be like well yeah i mean or also it, they can just be like look at this big long article about washio and like most people won't read it and they'll just be like <laughs> Wow, that's great, you guys! Congrats on your big long article. <laughs> it's, it's it's over four thousand words. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, I do think like um, shamelessness is a pretty important part of that job, that startup of being startup like a job. founder of anything for sure. Yeah, know? like you, like your shameless long form enthusiast. I think I am a shameless long form enthusiast. Oh my but- god, I'm so uncomfortable. We're talking about you. You guys are like basically a startup no but i we're in dumbo in like a room full of startups like i'm not gonna be allowed to leave the room with a dog but the (laughs) you have snacks we have all kinds of hippie snacks if you want them (laughs) we have tons of hippie snacks but do you have flax crostini we've had them are you serious no what the fuck is a flax crostini no we have not had that but we do have like a bunch of weird uh hippie snacks if Uh you want if you want any yeah that's cool um i'll stay away from your corporate we're definitely that thing the like shameless part of it uh i think is like the part of this that i'm the worst at 
I have I carry deep shame. Yeah, I'm trying to have less shame, but it's How's very it hard. Yeah, no, I'm trying it's very to. Very hard. That was a good question that you asked George Saunders. Is like, how do you learn to take compliments? Yeah, and I was that like, was that's coming from like a real Max Linsky place. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm just getting, trouble taking compliments. I got in trouble for for not taking a compliment. That uh-huh. was like the day before. It's not like I'm like constantly getting compliments. I should just point out. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit humble braggy. <laughs> that was like one compliment that I got in January. <laughs> that, was, that was the compliment I got then that month. Um, anyway, yeah. Well, we can talk about my shame at, at a later <laughs> date, maybe. Maybe this right, isn't the it's right. It's a whole other podcast. But there are shameless things we could talk about. Uh-oh. I know about some shameless things we could talk about. Oh, no. This uh, is where it takes a turn. Let's talk about the stories that you write for GQ. Oh, okay. Sure. Those aren't shameful. Well, the Adam Driver one was kind of shameful. For Adam Driver or for you? For me. Why? It was just not good. What, what was embarrassing about it? I haven't even read it, so you can tell me about it because I can't even like, uh, talk I about don't it. know if I can like properly articulate why it was embarrassing. I mean, it was just like he's an interesting guy totally pleasant and nice and very into his work and it was just kind of like a nothing interview and then I got home and I was like shoot what do I say about this guy he's like normal and kind of nice and did you write a piece that like he's a normal nice guy I think so. I have no idea what happened. It was like all a blur. I went to like a fugue state and I wrote this thing. But I know that he sent me flowers afterwards and that's never a good sign. How come? There should be something that bothers people about. If you truly did your job, then... They should be a little bit more uncomfortable. They should be just a little bit like... Because, you know, nobody's perfect. (laughs) Except for Adam Driver. (laughs) Except for Adam Driver. How do you approach those uh, celebrity profiles that you're doing for GQ? And do you turn any of them down? Yeah. Would, would, this has I, sort of been my year of yes, where I've said yes to a lot of things, okay. including like Adam Driver, which I probably should really have said like no to. It sounds really like self-helpy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fun. It's yeah. like it's it's like a good like palate cleanser in between writing like long stories about business and right. um and really like thinky things. It's fun to just like go to LA and spend like a few hours or days um, with a celebrity person. I don't really know if I have like a, I I actually don't have an approach. I don't like really have a plan. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. Um, What's the time it worked out? Basically. A time that I think Adam Levine kind of worked out. I just kind of showed up and we just like hung out for like a long time. You wrote one about uh, Channing Tatum. Yeah, that worked out. That was fun. That was like definitely... um, an experience of just being like, I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. That one seemed like it got a lot of uh, attention. Well, yeah. So I spent the night in the desert with Channing Tatum on a whim. So there's always an activity with these celebrity profiles, which people think is like fake and it is fake, but it's also like kind of great, like to have something to do with somebody that you don't know. Like right. it's beats like of... sitting in a hotel room with like yeah. waters that you don't drink. Yeah. yeah. So his idea was to go out to this bar in the desert outside of LA, like probably two hours outside of LA that he had read about. It was in like a ghost town. And on the way there, it sort of turned out he was like yeah, I brought my sleeping bag because I was thinking, like, I think he thought he was going to, like, kind of, like, ditch the interviewer and be like, <laughs> I'm going to, like, camp out in the desert by myself because that's kind of what he's like. And Or maybe his friend would come out and meet him. And I was like, I want to go camping in the desert. And um, 
so we sort of did that. But then we also made friends, and they, like, let us stay at their friend's house. And it was this kind of, like, whole collision of hilarious events in this ghost town. Right, involving a lot of tequila. Yes. Part of the reason that one got attention, I think, is because it just, like, broke that mold a little bit, you know? Like, the knock on those kinds of pieces is that they're pretty formulaic. Right. And at least that one felt like you two did kind of go to the desert and get pretty drunk and it was like a little weird but mostly fun yeah uh but there was also this like i think emma carmichael wrote about it on gawker afterwards there was the the it fit with like the edith zimmerman piece on chris evans there was this whole um kind of conversation that started about men's magazines assigning women to go cover men right well that's i mean that always struck me as sort of silly because men's magazines assign men to cover women all the time um and it's not that weird it's not like (laughs) i don't think that they were like you don't think it's a thing go flirt with them (laughs) sweet tits (laughs) i wasn't like so i can't even imagine like my editor is a gq like even having that like that was just a and also it was like it was such like a palsy thing like it didn't even occur i think it's in the story like at like one point he calls his wife and she's like, oh, it's kind of weird that you're in the desert with a girl. And he was like, oh, yeah, like that is weird. It's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, well, hmm. um, <laughs> let's go back inside and talk to our friend, ordinary Tom that we met at the bar. Also, by the way, the best part about that is that so we had this like kind of epic night and it was like the easiest story I ever wrote because I just had to say what happened because it was like so much stuff happened and. It was also super indicative of his personality. But then, like, probably a year or maybe even two years later, um, right before Magic Mike came out, I ran into Channing Tatum at Fetzau in Brooklyn. And I was with a bunch of my friends, and he and his, like, friend came over and, like, bought us all drinks, and, like, we all hung out. <laughs> but no one went camping. Great. You didn't, like, go camping in Prospect Park? We didn't Park. go camping in Prospect Park. <laughs> but it was like, all right, Channing Tatum, my pal. That's, in Brooklyn. Where does that fall on the, like, um, getting flowers sent to you? That's a different thing. <laughs> uh, I have some more questions for you, and then we'll let you go. Okay. Uh, you were married to a journalist. I was married to a journalist. I did not get enough Zer- research done. <laughs> <laughs> really? I was, yeah. Oh, I'm oh no, it's sorry. okay. No, it's okay. I was married um, to Ben Wallace, who now works in New York Magazine. It's all good. We're friends. He also worked at Philadelphia Magazine. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, journalists shouldn't necessarily be married to each other. Well, I got to tell you, that was an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting way for that to go, because what I was going to ask you was, uh, how is it like to be married to a journalist? Great guy. Super great writer. Not the boyfriend that I was talking about previously, just to make that totally clear. Um, yeah. No, it's kind of, no, it's kind of weird. I'm glad you asked. Maybe it'll be good that it's, like, out there, because nobody asks me about it, because everybody's, like, super weirded out that we work in the same office together. Um, How is that? It's fine. Really? It's totally fine. I mean, we're, it's not like we go to meetings or like, but yeah, we're we're pals. We're friends. Do you guys like get lunch? Sometimes. Was both being in the same profession part of the part of what went wrong? <laughs> Probably a little bit. I mean, like you have the same exact neuroses, basically, and and. Um, well, also like 
Let's get into the therapy portion. Well, this is. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Are you married to a journalist? No, I'm married okay. to a. a uh, she teaches eighth grade special ed at a, okay. at a public school in Brooklyn. She's winning like all of the karma points for our household. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like pretty instant. Uh, there's a lot of days where I come home and I'm like, you will not believe this thing that happened on the internet today. And she's like, today, a kid threw a chair at my head. Oh, man. And it's like, I'm going to shut the fuck up about the internet now. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't matter at all. Um, I sort of appreciate the fact that exactly that, that I can't go home every day and keep talking about the same shit mm-hmm. that I've been talking about all day at work. Well, fortunately, I can because I'm now married to a consultant who reads everything <laughs> but doesn't actually like you know traffic in it. So he can like totally talk about it with... Um, you know, facility, but, um, well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she can't too. She's, <laughs> right. she's, she's into it, but it's not like it's, it's not occupying the same, same world. Right. Um, so I guess, yeah, the answer to that is that it's hard, but no, I mean like a lot of my friends, like kind of like only wanted to like date journalists. I mean, it's like, it's really compelling to like be with somebody who like gets you and like gets how weird you are. And like, that's why Ben and I are still friends. I think. Yeah. Do you think it made you a better journalist? Oh, totally. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was, like, so helpful to me. He's really good at what he does. And, yeah, especially when I was, like, kind of starting out. And, yeah. So would would you uh, advise other people to get in relationships with journalists? No, I advise them against it, actually. <laughs> would you advise people who do interviews with journalists to do better research before they ask them about their personal life? <laughs> It's not like it's online. I mean, the New York Times doesn't do divorce announcements. How uh, much traffic would that section get if the New York Times started doing divorce announcements? I think announcements? that there was, like, for like in the early days of blogs, there was a blog that was, like, breakups, and it was so great. <laughs> I don't know if it that was real, but it was hilarious. So but so no, awful. I kind of think that they should definitely do that. Especially I mean, with the internet, they have no excuse to not, like, update things. It could it could be a page. Like, Sunday Styles, it could be a page. It's like, mm-hmm. wedding, 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 breakups. Uh, wedding, wedding, wedding. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that sorry. kills the rest of your questions. Sorry about that. It's <laughs> cool. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't kill. It doesn't kill my line of questions. It just makes me feel shame. <laughs> well, you're good at that, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> you're welcome. I have two more questions. Sorry. Okay. I'm interested in in writing and the way that you actually write because there are these there are these turns of of phrases, these like little images and stuff that get into your stories that I feel like are not in most magazine stories. Huh. Um, this is going to be a, a, a very dudish one of me to pick out, but the story about uh, Diana Passage, mm-hmm. you describe her as having a uh, grapefruit tree figure, which I thought That's was like, funny. which I thought was pretty great. And then <laughs> I, I don't remember writing that. Okay. <laughs> and another thing <laughs> that I noticed was that um, you use the word uh, besotted a lot. More than once? Many times, actually. Yeah. I think that is the word that you like uh, over like fell for someone or was in love. That is so weird. Wait, in the same story? Different stories. Because that would be a copy editor problem that I'd have to rage against copy. No, different stories. Uh, no. Uh, huh. That's interesting. I, there's definitely words that I reuse over and over again. Um, I didn't realize besotted was one of them. Definitely like the grapefruit tree. I mean, like sometimes does, like stuff just pops into my head. I have yeah, no idea. Yeah, does it just idea. come to you or is, it, like, is that something like or that line about the kid uh, furrowing his brow like somebody who had never thought about himself aging. Like, yeah. Is that something that you put down in your notebook or does that no. come to you later? Does it come while you're writing? I think it came while I was like writing the sentence. I mean like the like idea was there that like I was like man these people talk about it like they're never going to get old. I mean like <laughs> right. you know. Right. Yeah. 
those things aren't coming to you while you're reporting. No, not at all. No. In fact, well, getting to the like wise ass thing and how it bothers me a minute, I really like everybody that I'm interviewing in the moment that I'm interviewing them. Like I really I like totally I like people. Like I like all people and I naturally like all people. And I record it and then I go home and I transcribe it. And sometimes I'll be like, I really like this person, but like, damn. Like that is just like you shouldn't say that. Like <laughs> that's not good on paper. And then and this is why the wise ass thing bothers me. It's like kind of a struggle for me to like to like let somebody say something like obtuse or you know even the Airbnb guys like I I felt really bad because there's one part in that story where like he quotes Picasso and it's like no Picasso didn't say that like (laughs) and I wasn't thinking in the moment like Picasso didn't say that it was later I like googled the quote and I was like Picasso didn't say that and it was like oh my god these guys are like always quoting people like and it's kind of like this like part of this culture and I feel like it's, like, important to not let your liking for people impede, like, your kind of judgment on the situation. Do you think that has the effect of people loosening up and opening up to you and then reading the story and feeling like they kind of got burned? I really worry that that is the case. But, like, also, this doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> like People will sometimes say to me, and they'll be like, I'd never let you interview me. And I'm like, that is like a, first of all, that's like, you should never say that to me <laughs> or to any journalist because that's like super well, rude. Hold on, I'm just crossing off a question. <laughs> um, but also it's like I probably like 80% of people like are, are happy, not like sending flowers happy, but like, you know, are, are fine and like feel like they've been hurt or whatever. And then... Some people are not happy, but I do think that like, and the reason the wise ass thing bothers me is that I do think that I try to, I try, and I don't know if it works and maybe it doesn't. I try to like convey what it's like to be with the person and like to like them. So you kind of end up, I think, I'm hoping that you kind of end up liking this person even though they say these kind of obtuse things. Liking them sort of in spite of themselves. Yeah. Do you think that you take them seriously oh yeah yeah (laughs) what do you mean well i mean okay so taking that like picasso quote as an example yeah right like i would argue that like (laughs) if you want to think about like the hbo show silicon valley which is what prompted you to write about this stuff like that could totally be a scene in that movie as some dude quoting picasso he wouldn't even have to get it wrong just Mm -hmm. the idea of quoting picasso is sort of a suspect right. move. Right. The fact that the quote is wrong for sure, it's super telling, uh, but it undermines some credibility of a person who's running a $10 billion company. Well, as it should. It has the <laughs> I mean, not to say, like, if you can't quote Picasso correctly, you shouldn't be running a $10 billion company. But, I mean, I, mean, a good I rule think of thumb the, is if the you point can't... is, I mean, I think kind of overall is that these are kids. These are, like... This is the world that we live in, like that people are walking around like, you know, being like George Bernard Shaw said that like I should disrupt the world and like fuck everybody. You know, like like, that's kind of their like scene. And I'm sure that he expected that, you know, when he said that, that I would write something like 
Picasso said creativity comes from constraints. He said, like, staring into the middle distance of the restaurant that he, like, you know, founded his company at seven years ago. And, like, the fact that people are used to being reported on like that is kind of fucked up. And, like, I kind of want to, like, you know, call attention to that in some way. Like, just be like, wait a minute, hold on, stop the press. This is, like, complete bullshit what you're saying to me right now. And because this is bullshit, I don't know what else is bullshit. Okay, what you're offering there is actually like a critique of his hustling practices. <laughs> like he's not what what that his is is like. His hustle is bad. He has his, a bad hustle. He's not, he has a bad hustle. He has a ten billion dollar hustle, but it's kind of like there are holes in his hustle. That's funny. That's, that's actually that's probably true. Because I was thinking, I'm like, really, I'm a crisis PR person. Like in a well, it's, it's funny because like, <laughs> I read that story and I'm like, it seems like you don't take those guys super seriously. But in fact, they have to be taken seriously because. They have sort of stumbled in a way into this thing that's now worth massive amounts of money and taking up like lots of public funds and figuring out how to deal with. They have to sort of be reckoned with. And what you seem interested in is is finding the holes in that hustle to sort of point out uh, that it's not all quite as earnest and above board as it seems. Well, yeah. Or straight ahead. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's not like even like, oh, your PR is bad. It's like, that that's the story is that like it's not a, it's not <laughs> this a PR company thing is like we're really Picasso. great for the world and it's like are you great for the world like I don't know maybe there's like a bunch of underlying problems here that we should like take a look at and part of it is just like I just don't want to like live in a world where these things like totally slide by and I want to like be able to call attention to them in a, in a not boring way <laughs> right right <laughs> Because, I mean, that's true. Like, I mean, it's funny. It's, it's like, funny. It's and the also, stories are entertaining. It is, is legitimate. No, but it's legitimately funny that we live in a world where, like, a pair of 30-year-old art students can start a company, like, out of their bedroom that is, like, this kind of kooky idea of, like, sharing room. And it becomes, I'm saying $10 billion, I don't know if that's the correct figure, but a $10 billion company. And it's, like, meanwhile, the New York Times is worth, like, a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> what I don't even know. It's 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 funny, sad. It's funny, tragic. It's it's um it's weird. It's like a weird time to live. I don't know what it means or anything, but it's super weird. And we should just like kind of get out of the. I, I feel like it's like get out of the like narrative of like people are changing the world or like or like you know I don't know. It's I kind of think that maybe the jokes or like I use the humor I'm trying to use the humor to like kind of shake up how seriously like we've been taking things or or you know call attention to the fact that maybe we should be paying attention to different things I don't know I think that I have I misread those stories <laughs> well people can't read <laughs> well I mean I only read the first paragraph but um no I think I misread those stories I think the question I wanted to ask you after reading a or bunch maybe of, I miswrote them no, I, that's, not, that's not where I'm headed. <laughs> this is my shame, Jessica. This is, this is my <laughs> Don't shame. Don't try to outshame me. <laughs> it's my shame we're talking about here. <laughs> no, the thing is, like, I, the question I was going to ask you, the last question I was going to ask you was, like, it doesn't seem like you take this stuff very seriously. What do you take seriously? What do you think you'll be writing about in the future? Like, is there something that uh, you don't kind of have to, like, uh, joke your way through because you kind of don't take it super seriously? And I think what you just said is, this is super serious. This is like very important. And these guys are kind of getting a pass. Yeah, I know. That is exactly what I'm saying. And like, it's like, it's kind of like if you have to tell people that story 
or if you have to make people laugh to tell them that story, like, yeah, it's a, it's a, I think that people, this is like kind of tuning my own horn in, in my new, or our new plan of not being shameful. But like, I think that that was an issue where it had been written about in like a, pretty dry way like the conflict had been written about in a very dry way and people were not really grasping what was going on and I think if you can put it in like a way that has like color and humor and like you know characters um, then it, it makes it more useful it makes it easier to understand what's going on and it makes it uh, easier to see like uh, where the hustle is and who's hustling yeah, and everybody's hustling. And I think that's kind of like what the end of the story is. It's just like everybody has a different hustle going on. So what's your hustle? I have no I have no hustle. I have no game. I don't know. I don't have one. Cla- I'm still bumbling through. I'm still bumbling through everything. It's a classic hustler line. <laughs> yeah, no, I seriously have no idea what I'm doing. None. That seems like a good place to end it. <laughs> Jessica, thank you. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to Long Form. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor is Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our intern this week, Rachel Mabe. Thanks very much to my guest, Jessica Pressler, for taking the time. Uh, aside from that one moment where I felt absolutely awful, I had a really wonderful time talking to her. Go read her work. It's excellent. It'll make you laugh. Thanks to our sponsors, Tiny Letter and Warby Parker. Go to warbyparker.com longform. You'll get free expedited shipping on your next pair of great-looking glasses. We'll see you next week. That's the time you get me running And you know I'll be around Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running And that's not the case Most runners hate running (laughs) But they choose to do it In the new docuseries Running Sucks Brought to you by Team Milk Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.